and welcome back to The Chosen Life. I'm your host, The Chosen Lawyer. Very, very privileged today to have a very good friend and somebody that I have to respect in the industry, mentor in the world of life coaching and in, I would say, in wellness and the overall being as a lifestyle, our good friend Marla Warner. Marla, welcome to The Chosen Life. Thank you so much, Jonathan, and it's my pleasure to be here. So starting off, when we start an episode, I always like to talk about how we connect because I'll bring somebody on from a different walk of life. People always say, how do you know this person? And inevitably, it's a very, very small community, whether it's in a religious circle, it's in a community circle, it's a professional circle, but people tend to know people. People say, how do you know this person? So if you'd like to tell the story of how we first met. Right. So we met because uh, somebody had reached out to me from the OBA, the Ontario Bar Association, to provide a workshop in the area of managing stress for, for lawyers. And uh, they wanted to pair me with a like-minded lawyer. And you were the name that they put forward, and we were matched, and that was it. <laughs> that was back in 2017. There. So together we provided a program for the OBA and uh, and they have since reached out to us again, which is really exciting. So a little, little secret that now I realize that we hadn't discussed before, but do you know the story behind it of why they picked my name as a lawyer? Other than that, they knew that you would be a good fit for the topic. I actually don't know how they came to you. As with everything in life, it's about being in the right place at the right time. I was at a conference before that talking about technology and law firms and how uh, new cutting edge technology and they were giving a whole seminar on this. And I thought, wow, I need to be there. So I went to this conference watching it. And at the end of the conference, I was speaking to one of the organizers and telling them about my story and my life routine and where I'm headed. And I said in passing, I'm leaving. By the way, any programs come up, I can never be assistance. Please let me know. They seem to be very fascinated with the fact that I love doing daily yoga and eating well and actually seem centered as a lawyer, which is rare. And apparently it is. <laughs> lo and behold, boom. Um, I've gotten that so many times when I come into my office and they see nothing on my desk and I have little Buddha statues and they're saying, hold on a minute, this guy's not, not a regular lawyer. And I pride myself on it that I'm not trying to be what I should be as a stereotype or cliche. I'm living the authentic life of what I feel. So that's how they found me. And then we got to meet, put together a program together back, wow, 2017. It's mm -hmm. amazing. This mm -hmm. feels like 10 lifetimes ago. Yeah, it does. I got to tell you on a personal note, I was very, very nervous for that particular event. I knew your credentials. I watched your videos. Going into it, I said, wow, like, you know, like, this is like closing for the stones here. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and you were talking first. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and as we were there and we're presenting, we're the opening act for the whole conference. Mm. You're delivering as you do because this is what you do for a living. This is your bread and butter. These are the people you help. And I'm sitting there in awe and I'm like, I got to follow this now. And I went and did it. And it was, we came from such different places and diverse backgrounds and with the same intention. And I really loved the fit of how they put it together. And lo and behold, they have us back together again. They do. And you are very generous in, in <laughs> everything that you've said. But uh, it was a wonderful experience. And yeah, it's great to be back again to uh, be delivering as a similar but, of course, slightly different program given what we've just been living through for the last couple of years. So just a little sneak preview for, if, for mostly to be for lawyers, I presume, are going to come to the Ontario Bar Association. 
But for anybody that's interested in the topic, we are going to be speaking, I have here, we have Thursday, August the 18th, uh, how to reduce digital overload and discussing how time to detox and essentially work-life balance and, and everything that gets encompassed under it. There's so many yeah. parts of it. Uh, uh, I love it because I know I do a lot of reading for this. I try to set systems and goals for myself. And I think of it from a lawyer perspective, but usually when I'm reading about it, it's from a non-lawyer. And that's where it's great to see somebody outside of the profession that actually does this for a living and be able to come to us and say, hey, law firm, lawyer's profession, uh, you guys are set up to self-destruct with stress. Let's not go this route anymore. There's a better way of doing it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so really looking forward to it. And we'll dive in a little bit, uh, I think, to give a little sneak peek for preview with our, for people that are going to be interested in our uh, conference, because this will air, this episode is going to air before the launch of the conference. So we'll make sure we have that out. But let's start off on the basics, first of all. We got to know how we met, mm -hmm. what we're up to. Mm -hmm. I want to know Marla Warner, this centered, confident, amazing, vibrant woman. How did she come to be and how did you think of doing what you do for a living? Where did it all begin from? Wow. Okay. It could be a very long story, so we'll have to have to make the abridged version. But Send me a bridge. I, it's I okay. Would, please. Uh, I would have to say my, uh, my path really has been very organic. I was uh, out of the womb somehow, always interested in movement and health and well-being, uh, really from a young age. And I remember doing yoga classes on the television, uh, you know, in, my, in our living room, eight, nine, somehow that appealed to me. Uh, but I, I went through to a, uh, a program in kinesiology, which really appealed to me, the science of human movement. And then from there, I started to work in, at the time, what was a right after university, a, a very elite fitness institute, a fitness center called the Fitness Institute. And in the couple of years that I was there, I wanted to pursue something else, which was another passion of travel, as well as working with people from a health and well-being perspective in developing countries. And so I joined an, an organization called Crossroads International, a non-denominational organization, and I went to West Africa, to Ghana. And I did that because I thought I wanted to pick the country that I would least likely be hopping on a plane to at any time in my life for a holiday, had to be English speaking. And, uh, and that was just an incredible opportunity and experience and perspective. And while I was away and having seen people with so little who were actually quite happy, uh, who were incredibly resilient. That was really the beginning of, of me thinking about what I wanted to do next, which was to work around stress. Resilience was not a word we really used back then, mm -hmm. but certainly stress management was. And given that we had so much here, I wanted to dig into understanding that more and working with people around understanding and managing stress. I got, I got to ask you one question. It's, it's jumping in my mind. Mm. How much time did you spend in Ghana? How long were you there for? I was in Ghana for six months, but I was in Africa for one year. So I went from West Africa to East Africa, and then I just traveled with a backpack on my back. And roughly the time frame of this? Time frame, 1987, 88. So a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, yeah. yeah. But when, would you uh, say... Most of the my demographic was settling down and getting married and my poor parents. <laughs> I had to say, and my daughter's in Africa? <laughs> it was a rough time for them. 
But would you say a very much a life changing experience? Completely, for, absolutely. If you had not gone and done that year, would you think you're the same person you are today? Uh, to not say. quite. Not oh. yeah. Not not quite. No, that experience was certainly life changing. Uh, it was um, you know, inspiring and on every level. I think I would have been close to the person I am today, just with my the interests that I had. But absolutely incredible. Not and then, and then from there the flow because. I have the listing, which we can get into in a moment, but the number of qualifications and the education you have in the background, like you, you are like, it feels to me like a lifelong student. Like you're, you're the teacher, but you're the lifelong student. I, I am a lifelong student. Uh, um, yeah, I would have to say so at this point. I, I really just continued my path of um, going into programs and certifications around mind-body connection psychophysiology is the term, and furthered my education around that. And at the time, again, there really wasn't anything in Canada. I did a certification out of the States as in a certificate in stress management education. And from that, I, uh, I then became employed at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health as a stress management therapist. So I really didn't have background in addiction or mental health but I had this stress management education background, which at the time was rare, and spent 13 years at CAMH. So after 13 years, I had a whole lot of background in addiction and mental health and many, many courses under my belt that, and many trainings that were provided to us in so many fascinating areas. So I'm gonna ask you from another sneak preview. Mm -hmm. I've had this image in my mind and what the root of all evil is. And tell me if you think this is true or not true, but I believe this is the root of all evil. And if we can deal with this horrible creature, all our lives be better, we live longer, feel better, get less sick. The evil is called stress. Hmm. I believe stress is what does a lot of us in. It can make people lose their hair. It can make people get physically sick, mm -hmm. uh, mentally unbalanced, health. Now, obviously there's different wiring in our brains and how we work, mm -hmm. but always, it seems to always come back down to stress and how we perceive stress, how we deal with stress, and that will influence how our lives will flow. How do you feel when I say that? Well, yes, yes. Um, there is so many things that stress uh, impacts, and you hit on something in saying how we perceive stress, because there's really fascinating, more recent science out now that has shown that our perception of stress makes all the difference to the outcome of how we deal with, with the situation, with our biology, with our physical symptoms and, and uh, potential illness or, or not, mentally and physically. So perception is key. And uh, today there's a lot of work being done around how do we uh, actually shift our perceptions of stress to being able to see stress as enhancing versus stress as disruptive and i've seen people in different walks especially as clients as a real estate lawyer and then when they come into my office and how their manner as far as they talk and how they're feeling and i can see kind of where they're at almost like it's it, whatever i'm going to say or not say at this point they're living in this world and they're choosing to be unhappy or happy and they're wallowing in it the one that really sticks out to me, one story was I had this couple, they had to sell a property, could not sell the property for the life of them. And it was really diving on them. They were going to life savings to carry the property until they could sell it. And I remember sitting down with the both of them and looking at the husband and telling him, 
we need to deal with this immediately as far as how you're acting about this because you look like a ghost right now. And I'm telling you, if you don't stop doing what you're doing right now, you're going to put yourself in an early grave. Like he was very, very young. He was, I think, barely 40, if mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I said, you really need to think about your mental outlook right now because the situation is what it is. But you're choosing to, to drive you down to the bottom. This is not good. Remember I told you this. Came back to me two years later and said to me, maybe it was three years at this point, says, um, I wish you had, I'd listened to you. Turns out uh, I got cancer and I had to go through chemo. And it just ate away at me, the thought of what this man had endured. And it got me started to think, does mental make physical? Can people literally make themselves so physically ill that they could even bring on cancer? I'm not a doctor. I can't profess to say yes or no, but I can say this much, stress don't help. And that is really what we can say. Uh, you won't find anywhere in the literature uh, anybody saying absolutely stress can be on cancer. Right. And I actually do work at Wellspring, which is a cancer support center and lead programs there. And so we're pretty clear in that language, yes. but we know that it can exacerbate things that are going on already in the body. And really, as you said, it certainly doesn't help. I think of two sets of people when I sit with them, one person coming and saying, I'm done for, this is going to eat away at me. I'm no good. This is not going to end well for me versus someone saying, I am strong. I can fight this. I will recover. I will be better, you know, and those positive versus negative mindsets. And even if you don't get the results you want, still feeling better throughout is a plus two. Absolutely. And what we say to ourselves makes a big difference. So you've, you've hit on you know, a number of really excellent coping mechanisms and, and the inner chatter, what we say to ourselves makes all the difference to uh, to how we feel, to our perceptions, and to our behaviors and responses in situations. So it's really important to get to know our own inner chatter as well and see, is it like spiraling us down or is it sort of spiraling us up into a place where we, we quite literally, when we're not in a stressed place, see more options, are able to be more creative, maybe to be more in a problem-solving uh, frame of mind. Versus when we're stressed, it's it's not just kind of a, an idiosyncratic thing that ha might happen to you or to me. When we feel stressed, we can't problem solve. It really is an effect of cortisol primarily in our brain and that our, our perceptions, our, our focus really narrows quite literally. So it becomes really hard for us to see outside of the problem, whatever it is that we're dealing with. So by talking to ourselves differently, by reframing, by looking for options, by calming our bodies down, we have the ability to be able to see things differently. And we can always approach stress by either working with our bodies physically, relaxation techniques, breathing techniques, those kinds of things, or, or, or through our thoughts. Whatever works for us is, is the one to work with. Well, I got to save from there. I'm, I normally save it to the end, but I'm going to throw a plug in right now. And <laughs> simply because the woman says it, she means it. She's got the background for this. She's getting it. So first of all, I got to tell you your website for health.ca, you know, besides people being able to contact you to figure out as far as coaching them one-on-one -on -one or groups, which you do as well, you offer a lot of material on there for people to read as far as understanding and you put so much material out there 
including meditation. Uh, tell us more as far as even, you know, how are you able to produce, you know, written content plus meditation like that? Most people can do one genre, a second one, maybe you're doing it all. Well, thank you. Again, I'm not so sure I'm doing it all, yeah. but uh, from my years at uh, CAMH as a stress management therapist, I was so fortunate in being able to be trained by John Kabat-Zinn himself or anybody in the meditation world that would know the name, but he's really considered to be one of the um, the sort of early uh, er early people to bring the science of the East and practices, traditional practices of the East to the West in a non-secular manner and in medical settings. So I got involved with um, his program, the MBSR, or Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, decades ago. And uh, from there, I, over the last number of years, there's now a certification program out of U of T and completed their Applied Mindfulness Program. The practice of mindfulness has really been in my life you know, for, for many years. Since birth, it sounds like. I, well, I'm not so sure about that, but uh, for a lot of years. And it's not, you know, I could say uh, that, in full disclosure, um, that I, I don't necessarily sit daily or for long periods of time, but it's there. And I've also had a pretty committed yoga practice for about the last 30 years as well. And so between one or the other... Um, and if I'm not running or walking my dog, there's there's some kind of meditative or calming practice going on in my life. When I'm reading, I got I got to read off these qualifications. It just again it blows <laughs> my mind. And I, I, sorry, but you put it out there, you're gonna get it. So, speaker, facilitator, consultant, coach, focusing on well-being and productivity, positive psychology coach, health coach, specialist in mindful meditation, certified stress management educator, registered yoga instructor. In, in my world of my aha, and when, you know, you, you talked about how, you know, almost like from the womb on, as far as you've always had the, the curiosity, doing yoga at nine, you know, the life journey you took, you, you're, you're such an aberration for me because I've never met somebody who was able to clue in so early. Mm. I feel a lot of people that I meet are very similar to, I, I see them in myself because I kind of went through this years of kind of sleepwalking through my life, you know. Not living in the moment, looking for the next thing, never enjoying life, not feeling good about myself, not having a good self-image of myself, and just kind of just like shadow walking through life. Mm -hmm. And it was around my early 30s when I found yoga, found meditation, started putting time into it, hated it, couldn't sit through it, mm -hmm. couldn't go through it, and kept telling myself, if you're not good at this and you're not able to do this, that means you have to do this. It means we're onto something here. And that aha moment, and I remember my aha moment, it's when I was in Shavasana and yoga before a class, and I pictured myself in Shavasana in a coffin, in a box, telling myself, this is where you're going to be one day when you pass. This is what it's going to look like. Hmm. It's going to be over one day. Mm -hmm. What are we doing? Are we living here? Is this the life we want? Seriously? Mm -hmm. And that was my awakening. And it was very wow. powerful. Yeah. I was bawling my eyes out. I could barely do the class. Mm -hmm. And then I made the conscious effort, I am going to work on me. I, I keep trying to help everybody else. I'm trying to, you know, make a difference in the world, but I'm, I'm neglecting myself. And how am I going to help anybody else if I can't help me? And that's when I started the journey of self-development. Heard this before at all from people? <laughs> I have, yeah. And, but 
maybe not as much as I wish I had. Um, and you're very fortunate because that wake up call is, is everything. And to be able to see the fact that, you know, if we get, keep giving and giving and giving to other people, we'll, we'll run dry, literally. You know, we, we, we say that, you know, we, we need to fill our cup. We need to be able to, uh, it's, it's sort of the old oxygen mask. Uh, theme that we need to put that on first if we want to be of any use to anybody else and in the way that we want to be uh, to be able to show up for other people is with the kind of energy vitality focus health all those things well, so kudos to you thank thank you I appreciate it and, and, I, and I'll tell you that it's almost like it is it, there's an addiction feeling to it you're addicted to hating yourself you're addicted mm -hmm. to hating life it's bad outlooks mm -hmm. it's really hard to work out of that and yes. I would tell you that for me, 30 plus years living like that, I conscientiously think about it every day. It yeah. still does not come natural. I want to get into those habits where I wake up and feel anxious and be stressed about what I have to do and how I'm going to get all these things done and why is this person reacting badly to me and things are not going my way and life's not fair and those cycles. It feels like you're like running down the drain Yeah, yeah. and it's so yeah. easy. No matter how mentally strong you think you are, it's not easy. No, and, yeah. no, it's not. And and we all go through that too. You know, it's just so you know, again, don't think for a moment that I don't have those same kinds of thoughts and tough days and life doesn't, as we all know, go according to plan or feel fair. And we've all lived that over the last couple of years. So it, it is, I'm constantly digging down for those resources and those uh, skills and strategies and the what do I know? What do I know from science? What do I know from my own life that, that is helpful for me? And I think that's a very strong message for the audience listening because for so many people, if not almost everybody, if they're being honest with themselves, you know, they think to themselves, my issues, my problem, my life, it's my thing. I don't think that I, anybody else understands. Nobody's going through what I go mm -hmm. through. And they think that they're an isolated incident. And that's where I think even, you know, if they, if they don't want to get therapy or some sort of coaching, life coaching, even when they sit in a group and hear other people's stories, they can say, wow, okay, they get it. I'm not the only one. Yeah. And yeah. that's a very powerful thing. It, it is very powerful. And there, there's a whole science of self-compassion. There's a woman by the name of Kristen Neff, if anybody wants to check her out. And, and her work talks about the fact that we really do need to see ourselves as part of uh, an extended uh, community and to know that we're not the only ones suffering or experiencing hardship. And that the research has actually found that just that, that frame, that perspective really helps us to move forward, to move through whatever it is we might be dealing with. So, you know, when we're growing up in our respective households, especially you and I growing up in our, you know, Jewish households with our Jewish parents, if they came from Israel, wherever they came from, you know, one of their famous lines is, I know everything's my fault. You might as well blame me. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, there is a lot of blame to be had there. I think as far as generally when people trace back their life, I think the from the time we're born, and again, not being a scientist or a doctor in this, but, you know, the whole genetic versus environment debate. But the, the people who raise you, your caregivers, and the influence they have on you for a lot of people, that helps shape a lot of life. I can tell you, I can sit with guys my age in their 40s and 50s, and we talk about it. Mm. 
And there's a lot of trauma out there, mm-hmm. you know, because it was a different way back then mm-hmm. as far as more discipline, more assertiveness, yelling. Those were the norms in those mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. many, many generations ago yeah. that a lot of people went through. Yeah. And I talk to people who can be an executive and very successful in what they are and they manage their lives very well and you bring them down to it and they're back to that five-year-old mm-hmm. in trauma. Yeah, yeah, that's no, possible. So I uh, I never want to sit and blame mom and dad for it, but certainly I think it's it's whether it's the parents particularly as far as the experiences they brought, it could be a teacher, it could be a mm-hmm. coach, whatever it is. Yeah. Somebody I I found with talking to people is from my life experiences, it's enough that one person was hard on you with something that was important to you, mm-hmm. beat down your self confidence, mm-hmm. and people can carry that trauma throughout. Yeah, yeah, they definitely can, and I think that you know that will be perpetuated for. Probably for forever, there'll always be somebody out there who will beat down your dreams or your passions. I I, I will say I was fortunate. My parents were wonderful role models, and and my uh, my ath- athleticism and passion for athletics came from an early age of having two parents who were back in the day. Uh, my father was an amazing tennis player who never stopped playing in his entire life, and my mother as well, and just look for healthy options of, of activities for us to do. And uh, so, you know, fortunately for me, I had really had a, a wonderful experience that way. Which, which is fantastic. It and is. On, on the same token, I was going to say there's always two sides of the coin, but also no matter what stage you're in life, when you have those role models, whether again, it's a parent, it's an older sibling, again, a coach, a teacher, somebody, somebody that believes in you, plants seeds in you and, and and gives you that courage, that energy. It's amazing how much it can take. But that's where, again, you know, it's, it's, it's sad when somebody doesn't feel good and they isolate themselves versus being around people that can help support you, love you. And, you know, having that community is very big for people. And that's where one thing I always advocate for somebody that, let's say, is a close friend or a family member or somebody that says, you know, I'm really down right now. I don't feel good. Think of some people that make you feel good about yourself. I say to go out for a drink with them, go for a walk, anything. It's so therapeutic. Absolutely. And we, we need people around us. And that's a, you know, a huge piece that's come out of COVID is all of the isolation. And there was so much written about the uh, impact of all of the distancing that we had. And there's so much science behind the need for us as humans to be connected, to have a sense of belonging to other people. And we lost that for, you know, for a couple of years. And some people, of course, more than others, depending on your situations, but always to be able to reach out to a friend when we're not feeling well is, is exactly what we need. But it's hard because when we're not feeling good, that we don't feel like often we don't want to be a burden. We just aren't feeling, you know, joyous and happy. And so why would we reach out? And it's, it's a of a little note I think to put up on on our mirrors or doors somewhere to say if you're not feeling well reach out it, it is just about the most important thing we can do and always great to have that friend who makes us laugh and to reach out to them particularly more than anybody else if you can have a good laugh with somebody even when you don't feel like it because it, it changes your brain it changes your hormones your biochemistry and we actually will feel better but for us that have been on this earth for long enough We've coped, we know, but we've gone through those developmental years. Imagine, I, I can't imagine what it had been like starting grade one, starting grade five, grade seven, and doing that at home, mm. not having the socialization, not having mm. the teachers around me. Mm-hmm. 
losing those developmental years, I, I, I can't imagine what the adolescents growing up to teenagers, what they've gone through. And I think we're not going to see that for a little bit of time. But I, I certainly think that when you lose those two, like two core years for people in their de development might be difficult for them in the future as adults, I presume. I, I would think so. And, you know, I, I can only imagine like everybody else, I don't, uh, you know, don't have the looking glass on that. But I believe that we won't really know the effects of all of that for another couple of years on, on younger people. Your, your target audience as far as who you work with, mm -hmm. uh, do you have a certain age bracket predominantly, uh, people in, in certain professions? I, I noticed you have the credential RCC. Registered yeah. Corporate Coach. That's it. Yeah, yes. it's a registered corporate coach. What I've, is a registered done... corporate coach? Please well, walk us it's, through it. It's, um, it was through a coaching program that I did that is a business and leadership coaching focus. And that designation just happens to be called a registered corporate coach. But uh, through a business and leadership coaching program. And I'm actually doing the final version of that. So, and that's it, Jonathan. There'll She's be still no more learning. There'll be no more learning after 2023. I don't <laughs> believe you. You'll find another designation. I'm done. <laughs> Maybe travel agent after that. I don't know. Um, so, uh, just finishing off a business and leadership coaching program, as yes. well as uh, the positive psychology coaching that I did some years ago. And the very first coaching designation that I did was as a health coach, because that was really the area I was most interested in and in working with people around stress, anxiety, weight management, having more energy, those kinds of things. My picture that when you say that, I don't know if this is cliche or not, but it feels that anybody could work with you. Doesn't matter gender, doesn't matter religion, doesn't matter age, doesn't matter profession. You can work with pretty much everybody and yeah. for whatever they're going on in their life, somebody who needs life coaching, somebody who needs the systems in place to help see where they're at, where they're going, they can all work with you. Well, that's true. I really don't have that sort of coach's uh, absolute niche, which I think we're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. I, I do feel like I can work with almost anybody. At adults, I do work with adults, um, often professionals. But not necessarily either. And um, because I, given my background, really bring all of these areas together when I'm working with somebody. So it's a more holistic perspective. I could be working with a senior leadership person and maybe they're really wanting to work on their communication or relational skills. But inevitably, we'll be talking about stress. And we'll be talking about coping mechanisms and uh, you know, maybe even some aspects of work life. We don't even use the word balance anymore, but work life integration and just sort of managing the rhythm of work and life. And, you know, so many other things may come into it. So, uh, so yeah, I think I, I really am pretty open in terms of my clientele. You can give us a little peek. Everybody was in love with work-life balance and what we're striving towards. What happened from the shift from balance to integration? Okay, so please. balance really denotes that, uh, that like a teeter-totter seesaw, you know, somewhere in there we're going to find this optimal balance. But the reality is, as we all know, life doesn't work that way. If we happen to find ourselves in a moment of balance, it's a moment, you know, before something comes and throws us off balance again. So the terms that have been tossed around that I've seen over the last number of years, work-life integration, what I really like is work-life rhythm. 
It's about finding a rhythm. There will be times where we're, we're going 100% out on a project or a deadline. But to know that within our, um, our calendar or our planning, we're going to take some time to re-nourish, to re-energize, refocus, do whatever we need to do, again, to fill that cup for ourselves so that we maintain our, our focus, our health, our, our ability to, to have good relationships, those kinds of things. So really finding what is a rhythm for you or the idea of work-life integration is that we're ensuring that we're integrating all parts of ourselves into our lives on a regular basis, like you going to yoga on a regular basis, ensuring that you're eating well, that you might get really busy with different files, but those other parts show up on some level. So we are, because if we aren't integrating all parts of ourselves, we, we will start to feel unwell. We won't feel fulfilled, satisfied. Our energy will feel depleted. So that's the, the way that we look at it today. I like that a lot, actually. I didn't think I would, but when you explain it to me, I'm like, yes, that makes sense, actually. <laughs> because it's so funny, I see it in one way, and what I thought work-life balance was for me, and as far as the priorities of work, priorities of life, trying to find my blend. And I can see how people would be very concerned, I'm not balancing enough, I'm not doing enough. And like you're saying, the integration, rhythm, that makes sense, because it's a more realistic picture of what actual life is, and to not feel if you're not finding that perfect balance, you're out of equilibrium, no. But as long as you're keeping in mind that there is different parts of life and trying to integrate, I love it. Yeah, I think that right? works a lot very really well. Yeah, because the other is just not realistic. So why strive for something that's just not realistic? Then we'll only feel depleted even more. I think if there's any benefits out of COVID that have come through, besides the fact that we're now in a more of a virtual world as far as uh, paperless, and as far as the benefits goes that way, which we were all headed in a lot of our professions regardless, especially mm -hmm. in law, mm -hmm. I think it's also the screaming of the need for mental health. Mm -hmm. And in so many professions, whether you're a chef, a lawyer, an accountant, a plumber, there's always that need, tough it out, don't worry about it, right. you've got to be a pro, you've got to get it done. And where it really hit me was the idea of, okay, you go to a gym, and you spend all this time on your physical body. It's so important to be all shaped, nice, flexing, mm -hmm. fine. What the heck are you doing for your mental strength as well? Mm -hmm. And for so many of us, very little. Mm -hmm. And not, before, you know, many years ago, you would not openly say I'm in therapy or I, I, I'm reading about myself for self-development. That was a sign of weakness. You would right. not go there at all. You wouldn't, wouldn't want to be seen that way. Right. Now you have athletes standing up saying that, hey, I'm taking a mental break here. I'm not feeling good about this, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And for people to start to put the work in for mental strength as much as their physical strength, that's a beautiful thing. Have you noticed now in the past two years at least a more of a shift towards strong mental health? Absolutely. And the last two years have been quite busy for me with the companies because I'm Doing, have done so many webinars around educating on mental health and educating uh, people within organizations, but also very much educating managers and leaders around mental health and how to speak to people who are challenged or how to speak to people so that people will open up and talk about what's going on with them. Because again, COVID really brought to the fore just all the many challenges people had. Mental health has suffered. There's many, many statistics, which I, I won't rhyme off right now, but we 
are, are very clear in Canada and the States and everywhere in the world. Um, the just how mental health has been impacted on so many levels, anxiety, depression being the primary uh, mental health concerns that we've seen, and, uh, and, and people have not been doing well. And so this whole area of really breaking down stigma has been so important, and, and that's what you're referring to, and, and having open conversations and organizations bringing people like me in and others to talk about mental health openly, to understand it, to understand that it's an illness like you know, any of diabetes is an illness, any other illness that we have and that we need to caretake it, manage it, support it, and that people absolutely can function effectively uh, with mental health concerns um, and be off work and come back to work, again, as somebody would who has uh, you know, put out their back and has to be off and come back. You brought up a, a point that was ringing in my ear, and, I'm, and I, I've, I've used this example many, many times. Regardless, again, of the profession, I, I have somebody who's coming forward and they want to open up a restaurant, for example. I tell them, you're a chef. You're probably an excellent chef. You're really good in the kitchen. You're probably a terrible business manager. Mm-hmm. Lawyer wants to open up a law firm. Mm-hmm. You're a great lawyer. You know how to close transactions. You all go to court and sue people, get get decisions, but you're probably a terrible business person. You're probably a terrible manager. And not because you're a terrible person or because it doesn't come naturally. It's because you don't have the background in it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, when you have a big enterprise and you have hundreds, if not thousands of employees, you have a department for this, department for that, you know, everything is set up nicely that you have to deal with marketing. We go to the marketing department, we go to HR, we go to the HR department. The reality is for most mom and pop operations, small businesses, whether it's a law firm, an accounting firm, a bakery, whoever it is, they are all those departments. Yes. And they have zero understanding, zero background, zero education. And in this day and age, I can tell you, and we're sitting here in the year 2022, you have to be so aware of all these issues more than ever for as far as hiring practices, training, sensitivity to needs, being able to set up because... it, more than ever, no matter how much you're paying somebody, no matter how much opportunity you give to grow, it's fostering this environment and that environment as far as how a person feels, as far as appreciated, and as far as how they're communicated to, it makes a really big difference. And those firms that are bringing in HR department or are getting themselves educated, they're going to be a far ahead of the game in my in estimation. Yeah, you covered off a lot there and a lot of things that I am speaking about all the time. And even in, you're absolutely right, in, in mom and pop operations, they don't have the skill or background. They are good at what they do, but also in large organizations, all managers or leaders, are, you know, they're, they're there because of their expertise and their experience and their background. And they may not have any skills at all around coaching or understanding mental health or understanding how to recognize people and provide a sense of meaning and purpose in all these areas that today are considered so important in management. And so that's the work that I I really love doing is working with leaders to support them in these skills that are, I, I often refer to them in my work as the superpowers of 2022 and 23 and moving forward. These are the managerial skills that, uh, we believe in that, in order to create positive organizations, healthy organizations that people really need today. And they would not be coming into an organization with these skills or possibly, but not necessarily. I, I used to think that when I, before law school, I went to business school and I majored in marketing. I minored in HR. 
I thought that was really going to give me the skills because one day I wanted to be a business owner. And I can certainly tell you whatever I studied back then, which is now 20 plus years ago in HR, HR has changed a lot. But as far, you know, people tell me, you know, as far as the strength of my leadership or how I I am as a manager, most of my education came in the yoga studio and came during meditation. (laughs) And and from an an employee standpoint, you know, I've had this discussion with other business leaders. I've had them on my podcast and saying the client is not the most important person in your organization. It's your employees. Mm -hmm. You foster that the employees are number one and they feel that way. Mm -hmm. Then the clients will get the same back. Mm-hmm. It's a chicken and egg thing, so to right, speak. Right. And and I think people forget about that. And mm-hmm. I think from the, you know, from a client insurance point of view, you know, no matter what kind of professional you are, if you, the client does not feel that they're appreciated, they don't feel they're heard, you know, this person does not care about my business, they don't care about me as a person, they're going to go to another professional in two seconds. Right. I think we forget, or a lot of people forget, our employees are no different. Mm-hmm. It really comes down yeah. to speaking to somebody as, as a human being. Yeah. What's going? I want to get to know you. What's going on in your life? Yeah. You know, and building that relationship and that trust. It's not about how much can I get out of you today. It's I feel connected to you. There's trust and there's respect. Yeah. And yeah. the old model of I pay your salary. You better get this done or you're out the door. Mm-hmm. They're out the door. They're, they, they're out the door. They yeah. don't need this. No. That old guard is gone. Yeah. It's never coming back. Yeah. Thank goodness. No. no. And now we're fostering a new way of doing things. And I hope more and more businesses take their leaders, bring them to Marla <laughs> and say, hey, show us what are we doing wrong? Because there a lot of businesses that think they're doing it right. I can show you all the textbooks, mm-hmm. go under HR. These are systems. This is set up. We're in a different mode these days. Yeah, we are. And there's uh, a lot of people writing about how it's not just what leaders are doing, but it's how they show up. It's how they're presenting. And, and again, Jonathan, you just nailed a whole bunch of things there uh, in that building teams where safety and respect and civility are, are absolutely paramount, where leaders are showing up as their authentic selves, being very genuine, really relating uh, their concerns and, and what they know and what they don't know. Uh, so just being very human, and that's how trust is built and being authentic, um, looking for empathy. And empathy is one thing, really being able to understand where someone's at, but compassion, which follows empathy, which is then, you know, how do we work with this situation? What comes next? And so carrying through that compassionate recognition and acknowledgement and people feeling connected and belonging, all of this comes together so that people are um, are engaged, so that there is higher retention. These are issues that are, are really prominent for organizations today. So these are the elements that, uh, that we're working with. And, and a lot of this comes under the umbrella of positive psychology and understanding, um, again, this term positive organizations. What is it that's going to bring people together to perform at their best, to have high quality teams and high functioning teams and to um, be able to navigate uncertainty and change and all of these things coming at us in a way where we can see this as stress as enhancing and not stress as debilitating and work together. Well, my, my workshops and my education uh, later in life, um, I use the term Jubu. So I call myself a practicing Jubu, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes freaks I've people out. The, I've heard the term. People get interested. <laughs> and I explained, I'm, I'm Jewish by religion. That's how I was brought up and raised. Decided uh, through yoga, reading Buddhist teachings, always had little Buddhist statues in my house. Mm -hmm. And it just gave me the sense of calmness. And I decided, you know what, what is this about? And I chose to go to Buddhist temple for myself, not from a religious standpoint, but from a lifestyle standpoint. And even sitting in the corner and watching week after week how people are welcoming, people are talking, exchanging ideas, presenting of food, having meals together, people sharing their stories. It was really, really nice. And people coming from all walks of life and they have their reason for being there because they're looking to find themselves or looking for centeredness, mindfulness, you know, living in the moment. And what you choose to read or not read, you just sit there quietly meditate with your own thoughts. I always woke out of there more alive and left with a feeling of, you know, rejuvenation. And that's the kind of energy I wanted to bring into my law practice. I wanted to bring to my staff, to my clients, the people around me. And, and then as I'm sitting with them, we're now feeding off of each other, you know. Absolutely. You probably heard this one as well many, many times. But, you know, and I like to use this one where somebody comes to me, they're upset or they're crying. They're saying, somebody yelled at me and, you know, they're really upset. I tell them, step back for a second here. When somebody is really upset, you know, generally they're not upset with you. They're upset with themselves. You're the mirror and they're seeing whatever they're seeing, but they're looking at a reflection of themselves in not a good way. You have to understand they're not necessarily in the right place. You may have done something, I get it, but know that they could have treated a lot differently. And this whole mirror concept and people, how they treat others and how they see themselves, you know, we live in, unfortunately, still a time where it's so easy to blame others. Yeah. Something goes wrong. We need to find a scapegoat immediately yeah. and who did something wrong. Why can't we just focus on let's find a solution? Mm -hmm. How can we each be better within ourselves? Mm -hmm. But this epidemic of the blame game, is it ever going to end? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could answer that question. Because <laughs> if we could, but, we'd probably be making a billion bucks. But yes, on the same yes, token, yes. we'd also have a lot happier people. Well, we society. would. We yeah. would. And, and, you know, it's, it's people experiencing this moment of stress. Yes. And there's a term you've probably heard called the amygdala hijack, where there's part of our brain that triggers our stress response, gets triggered. And, and then we go into that very narrow focus of how we think, and, and that uh, you know, creates even more stress hormones, and that's when we are in full fight or flight mode. And blame is one of those ways of thinking that just sort of takes us right down, and we can't get out of it. So it's, it's not a, uh, what we want to do, of course, is be able to take a pause, take a breath, reset, and respond, as you're saying, in, a, in an effective way, in, in a way that allows us to ask a question or, you know, say, what's up with that? And is there another way we could look at this? But we're, we're down that rabbit hole of full-on fight-or-flight response, and it's, it takes an aware person to be able to say, okay, stop, breathe, pause, reflect, respond. We've, since somebody can walk and talk, the response has been, who broke that? Mm -hmm. Oh, they did it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and I get it when you're five, mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. But when you're sitting in a law firm and you're 40, 50, 60 year olds, at some point, the people not realize at some point, if I stood up and say, hey, this is on me, what part did I play in this? I don't know what others did, but I know for myself, I could have done this and this. I'm taking ownership of that, and I'm going to remember this, and I'm going to do better. Wouldn't this person look much better light to everybody, to the client, to their superiors, and actually get more far ahead 
if they took ownership in themselves. Absolutely. What, so why don't people realize that? <laughs> why is it so still, oh, if I can blame somebody else and get out of this. Mm -hmm. But inevitably, you will get caught or you just won't even look good by blaming somebody else. Even somebody that had nothing to do with it and they still, their immediate response is to say, hey, what could I have done differently mm. here? I, I really respect that kind of person. That's the kind of person I want to work with. Yeah. And even with the clients, when you come to somebody and you BS your way, or and if they catch you in that, you lose all trust and respect. Absolutely. We all don't, credibility. Right. So we don't have to be perfect. No. But let's no. be honest with who we are, with our good and our bad and our energy level. And I wish more people would understand that. And yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, no, and and why they don't, I don't know, but it, it takes a certain level of emotional intelligence, and uh, you know we'll just keep working with people to support them in that, and and hope that they can find that awareness, and and again as a leader or manager, it's being able to say those things like, oh, I I own that, I made a mistake, that really provides people with a sense of trust, and that that they are, um, that their manager is showing up as an authentic person and there's no perfection required, but that's what builds connections, relationships, that trust factor and the ability for people to know that they, they can make a mistake and own it and move on from there. And then to be able to ask as a team in a situation, you know, what did we learn from that? What do we do next? Like, that's what we all want. Like imagine you're working for a company, there's 10,000 employees, let's say, and the CEO comes and says in front of everybody, hey, I'm going to be real with you all. I'm going through a divorce right now, or I have a sick child in the hospital. I'm dealing with it. I have pressures on me. I really appreciate that some things I've had to delegate, and I've had to really rely on my team here. Thank you for all for being here for me. Note that I will be here for you the same way. When you open yourself emotionally like that in vulnerability, yeah. people see you're a real person. Yeah. I think they have a whole different level of respect and then they'll want to go to battle with you. I think that there's... A absolutely. And, and research has really found that as well. So that's, you know, if we can all show up that way and leaders can show up that way, they would have those people around them, you know, supporting them and supporting one another and being far more creative and innovative and collaborative, all those things that we're really looking for today. And that's where I think it's going to be headed. And I think from an organizational standpoint, because we do work with a lot of companies with leaders in, in our respective fields, right? Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, people have to sit down and say to themselves like this, this is the landscape and this is where things are headed. And in any industry, pretty much, there's always, it feels like a million competitors. And you have a decision at the end of the day, you have marketing-wise, social media, you know, your print script as far as what you're preparing to put out there. And as far as your hiring practices and then policy manuals, like it never, ever ends. But you have to think at the end of the day, if I'm not going to be at the forefront as far as from a mental health standpoint mm -hmm. and being able to attract talent, keep talent mm -hmm. and to be able to do that, a lot of other places are going to be much more competitive than me and I'm going to be left in the dust, especially now with we haven't even touched upon it, but it's something we'll talk about in, in the conference coming up uh, later this month. But as far as working from home, mm -hmm. back to the office, mm -hmm hybrid models yeah. don't know if there's a right or wrong answer right now it's simply i think at the very least it's communication and expectation setting the expectation and communicating it i don't think people working with people like to be left in the dark right they want to know what's no. going on yes. at yes. all times they yes. really don't like that no. our brains don't like uncertainty we we were meaning making machines so we always want to know and so even if a leader communicates they don't know the answer to that yet. If that's all you're saying, that actually helps to really quell anxiety for us.
yeah. just just want to hear something. I know from a from a staffing point of view, people love to have problems. You know, they just they have the problems rushing and I got a problem. This is stressing me out. I used to have a sign on my door. I don't have it anymore, but I, I used to be there many years ago. It said, no problems accepted here, only solutions. <laughs> and then they came and they gave the problem. I said, okay, so what is the solution for this? Mm -hmm. You've thought about this. You're obviously in the problem mode. Mm -hmm. What do you think we should do to fix this? Well, I've never thought about that. You're supposed to do it. Uh -huh. I said, yeah. okay, <laughs> you're going to come back. You're going to think about this. You're going to write out potential solutions for me. And then we'll come together. I didn't do that because I was lazy and I didn't want to do it. I always felt if a person is involved and takes ownership of what the potential solution is, they'll be more invested in it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and we know uh, from the world of coaching that leaders, uh, the, the most effective leaders are, are those who bring their people into conversations and problem solve together exactly, exactly as you did or, or in a conversation together to be able to ask questions like, what do you think the options here are? You know, or or uh, how else can we look at this situation? What have you tried in the past that's worked for you that might actually work here? But asking questions that have people thinking about possible options and, and possibilities. Because yes, when people come up with their own answers, they're far more invested in the process it's and the outcome. But it's incredible though, the different leadership styles and there's so many of them and there's mm -hmm. no right or wrong way no. of being a leader. No. On the one hand, you have the raw, raw person. I'm in your face. I'm going to tell you how it's going to be, and you're going to follow me, and we're going to get to victory. You know those type mm -hmm. of old school coaches. Mm -hmm. Then there's the lead by example person that does it, but doesn't speak as much. I, I I always say there's never a right or wrong leadership style to it because there's so many different types of staff and people and different levels as far. And you know, again, people also throwing in that top bottom. It's really nice when we all feel like we're on a level. Yeah. Not talking down to each other, yeah. up to each other. Yeah. We all feel we're in this together. Yeah, yeah, and and that's really all I can speak to. I'm not an expert on leadership, uh, and and certainly won't profess to be. But I know that in the again from a coaching perspective, that more and more leaders are being supported in and coaching and understanding just how to have conversations with people where they really listen. And and you know that might sound so simple, but where we don't listen a lot, and especially with the amount of technology going on around us, which we'll come back to, but uh, really training people to listen, to hear what people are saying, to be able to hear sometimes what's behind the words that they're saying, and to ask questions to, uh, that, that really makes someone feel heard and known and seen and that you know, the leader can actually name their strengths and to be able to uh, provide them with work that is going to excite them and be able to play to their strengths, if, if at all possible. But imagine a world where we're saying how to reduce digital overload. It's all digital overload. Think yeah. about it. Since yeah. we've been having this conversation, Lord knows how many text messages, emails, whatever messages we're getting right now, which we have to get back to. That's the norm for all of us. That's yeah. that's the new way. Yeah. Being able to sit face-to-face -to, -face to this, how nice is this in a rarity where we're so used to the Zoom world, yep. people text messaging or through Teams, very little picking up the phone anymore, hearing yep. somebody's voice. Yep. We're so disconnected from people that when you're actually around people, it's, it's, it's I'm not going to say it's weird, but it's, <laughs> it's different. It's it just, is. It is. Yeah. But you feel you're feeding off someone's energy, you yeah. know? Yeah. And 
I'm feeling much better since you've come into the room. Oh, and, good. There, yes. There's this little bit of, of research that I love that is about how we do feed off people's energy. We absolutely do, for lack of a better word, we'll say energy. And, you know, again, we are, as humans, we're wired to connect, we're wired to belong. And that we know if there's five people sitting around a board table and one person has the strongest either upbeat or downbeat energy, that person is the most contagious person in the room. We really catch people's energy, which I think is just fascinating. And then the kicker on, on that is if you're the person in authority, manager, supervisor, leader, your energy is the most contagious energy. And so that's something that I speak to leaders about to, to become aware of for back in the day when we did walk into rooms with people around a table, less so now, but to be aware of what is your energy? Did you just come from some meeting that really riled you up? Are you feeling frustrated or agitated, stressed in general? Because how you come in and present, they're all going to catch that and you know, I, creativity and innovation and collaboration that goes down the drain if they're all feeling stressed as well. So really important actually to be aware of our energy and the fact that we are contagious beings. And yes, it's always lovely to be across the table from somebody and somebody with particularly, it's why, it's why we like being around people who have positive, good energy because we want to catch some of that. I, I I never thought consciously of what I was doing when I walk through and meet people, but then I started to realize as you're saying that, I'm thinking of things I've read and I walk into a room, I don't know the people, there's a table there, I tell myself, I'm the chairman of the board. I'm here, big wig, let's do it. But it's not because I'm, I'm looking like I'm above somebody, it's because I believe in me. I'm walking in, I'm confident, like I'm running the show, let's do this, give people the respect, but I don't come in meek, I'm not like, Oh, why am I here? I hope mm -hmm. they're not going to call on me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you do that, you know, it, how many times people go to job interviews? Uh, right. I don't know if I'm qualified for this, but I hope you consider me. You're not getting that job. No, no. no it's not no. happening. Yeah. It's not happening. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I've given this example many, many times, but somebody who wants to get a job, I know I've hired enough people, if they follow one simple formula, and you can steal this one, by the way, it, it's <laughs> guaranteed to work for Writing anyone. Writing it down, yeah. <laughs> you walk into a room, you're meeting the people for the first time. You've done the research. Here's your company. Here's what you're about. Here's what you do. Here's what you need. Step two, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's what I'm about. Familiarize yourself with me. Step three, this is why we're going to work well together. I can see the fit. Bring me in. Give me a try. I'll show you. I'm ready to go. This is going to work. Step one, two, three, I can't see how that fails. <laughs> I remember going once for a job interview. I said, I literally am not leaving till you give me this job. I'll come tomorrow. I'll work for free. I'll stay for a week. If you don't like me, kick me out. You got nothing to lose. Literally, I'll come. I'll come this afternoon. And I really wanted the position. I knew the company. I did the research. I explained them what they did, why I felt I had good progression, and I believed in it. And it's amazing that people even show up for a job interview. They want a job badly. They have no clue who they're meeting. They have no clue on the person who's interviewing their background. Right. Don't even know what the company does. Yeah. I don't, it was such a lack of detail, I don't see how you're getting that job. No, and you're probably not, but you need to tell us the end of the story. Did you get the job? <laughs> I did get the job. They they, they, they thought about it, mm -hmm. and uh, they called me back a week later, actually. They came to a Starbucks, mm. and I came to the Starbucks to meet the person, and he said to me, okay, so we are prepared to take you, actually, and we want to bring you on board, and then here's what we're prepared to offer you. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, okay, interesting, and I knew what the market was, I said, 
Okay, that's a that's a little low, but that's fine. He says uh, that's what I'm prepared to bring, you know, and we'll see where we're at in like three six months. Mm -hmm. If you want me to go back, I'll go back to them and see if we can come up a little bit. But I may not have an offer at that point, so you have to make a decision now. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at each other for about five minutes, mm -hmm. not saying a word. Mm -hmm. And I said yes. I said I'm not okay. doing this ultimately for the money. I knew in my head I dug myself into a hole, probably uh -huh. how I'd word something, and I probably undersold myself. And I uh -huh. said, you know what? That's fine because I'm here for the experience. No problem. I ended up staying there for five years. So, oh. oh, okay. So that worked right. out well. Yeah. That's a good end of the story. Yes. Okay. And and that's one of the things when I hire somebody, I always, you know, we always ask me and my partner, are you here for a job? Or are you here for a career? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the one thing I can say as far as looking at resumes, and I'll say is to every employee of any industry, employers look at this, that jump. The constant jump every six months, one year, mm -hmm. one and a half year, two years. Mm -hmm. In five years, you've worked for seven companies. Why? Mm -hmm. And that just shows lack of stability for the most part. Mm -hmm. But that's very, very common. People leaving for a few extra dollars, people for more vacation time, location, whatever it is. It seems like it's very difficult to get lifers anymore. People are just prepared to jump in a moment. And I, I don't know if that's good for their progression for their career at the end of the day. Mm. If every time you're reintegrating to a new place, you got to right. learn new methods, right. how much are you really learning your particular skill set? So that's a whole different challenge for a different day. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I would have to yeah. say that also yeah. goes along with how employees are seeing their careers, how employers are seeing their employees, and it's a whole cycle that we need to figure out together, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that is... Definitely a conversation for another time and, and perhaps somebody who can shed some uh, more light on on that. But I, I do, I am aware that for younger people today, it's not uncommon that they will shift far more than, uh, than we did throughout our lives. And, and it's not necessarily seen as such a negative. People are looking for more different, varied experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. So on the last note for today, yeah. and we've covered a lot of good ground today. Mm. I think people watching this, we've hopefully made some kind of change in the world. Yeah. In my mind, even one person listening to it saying, hey, I can relate to this. These are things I struggle with. They get it. Maybe I should start shifting my mind a little bit. If we could have reached that one person, I think we've already had a victory in that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. But that being said, with mm. the people listening today, and very often people could be saying, hey, I am in a rut today. Mm -hmm. My career isn't going where I thought it would. My my personal life isn't going where it should. I had a vision of where my life was supposed to be and I didn't get to where I want to be. I'm very unhappy now. Mm -hmm. I, I've heard these words so often. I should have done this 20 years ago. I yeah. should have done this 10 years ago. It's too late for me. Yeah. And they're just unhappy. Marla, we're not going to shift them tomorrow. Yeah. But if we could say to them, hey, you're listening and you've already acknowledged at least. You, you've, you've heard your own voice and you're saying, mm -hmm. I'm ready to make a shift of some sort. What kind of baby steps can we give them to start that track? Mm, yeah, it's uh, well, one thing I would say is baby steps are definitely the way to go. You know, we, we don't shift with with big steps. So I know in my own coaching, I really work with people to take one small step and it has to be really targeted and relevant to whatever it is that they're ultimately looking for. So it's a really very personal uh, situation to say, you know, generally, um, you know, what steps should they take? I think becoming self-aware is really their first step is thinking about what they do want versus what they don't want. And writing that down, visioning it in any way that works for them, seeing a picture of what it is they want. First, knowing that, that is the first baby step. And 
from there, I would say, if I had to throw one more thing in, mm -hmm. I'm a really big fan of coaching, mm. whether it's physical or mental. Mm -hmm. Finding a professional that you trust that will be able to work with you, I think that that kind of relationship can help a person grow so much further than if they try to do it on their own. They don't have the training for it. They don't have the education in most cases. Yeah. But I get told so often, I don't need to go to the yoga studio because I got this. I can go watch it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I need to go to therapy. I can watch a couple of tapes on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Every YouTube fixes everything right, now. Right. <laughs> and I tell them, hold on a minute here. So I always give the example of LeBron James. LeBron James has a coach pretty much for everything. Mm -hmm. LeBron James spends over a million dollars a year just on his body. Mm -hmm. Has the people for the, I guess, the workouts, for the cooking, yeah. uh, the rejuvenation chamber, whatever else right. is, plus uh, psychology coaches and everything right. else. Yeah. Am I better than LeBron James? Do I <laughs> not deserve what LeBron James deserves? You deserve every bit that he deserves. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And then I, I said, okay, what about tennis? And I had this discussion literally last week with somebody. I said, you know, I, I don't I don't need I don't need a, a private sessions in the gym. I know what I'm doing. I said, okay, mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. Top tennis players in the world, mm -hmm. Nadal. Yeah. Does he not have coaches? Absolutely. But he's a top tennis player. What does he need yep. a coach for? Yep. Because guess what? They're gonna see things differently in you. They're gonna push you differently than what you're gonna go through. Mm -hmm. Doing it on yourself, whether it's physical or mental, in my mind, you'll reach a block. Mm -hmm. Somebody who can see it beyond you, mm -hmm. a different voice, different perspective, could take you to another level. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just was speaking with somebody earlier today who said that uh, coaching is really being seen as the second uh, fastest growth industry. People are reaching out to coaches more than, than they ever have. And for all those reasons, and there's also an accountability piece there too. You know, I know and I'm coached as well that you know, once I'm accountable to somebody, I'm going to be checking in with them. I'm far more likely to actually go through with whatever it was that we that I had set out for myself in that time period in between. So the accountability and coaches bring, uh, you know, everybody is different, but they bring a, a depth of experience, of strategies, of perspectives, of different models to work with and tools to work with that really do help people to see, you know, in an expanded version of, of what, whatever, wherever they are. And that's very helpful. So yes, if there's baby step number two, we can say, find a coach that, that you really resonate with. And we, we're ready to put all this time into our bodies, you know, mm -hmm. what we got to eat, you know, nutrition, as far as things have changed over the last 30 years and how we're viewing food and the effect of food on our bodies mm -hmm. and then realizing the effect of our bodies on our mind and our mind on our bodies. Mm -hmm. you, you get that membership, you go to the gym, you go get a personal trainer, you're working on your body, mm -hmm. your brain, your soul, your health deserves just as much coaching as well. And that's where I commend you on finding your niche and being able to actually do good in this world helping others, helping people find their way, better outlooks, more productivity, and just generally smile on their faces. I commend you on that and heavily encourage everybody to go to your website again, forhealth.ca. Yes, and it's F-O-R, health, yes. as opposed to a not, number four. Not the number four, <laughs> F-O-R, health. And they're going to see it in the uh, in the link. It's going to yeah. show it there with okay. your name as well. So Great. they'll be able Thank to you. just click on it, get right on there. Lots of great materials again. Uh, Amazing. Even if somebody's not working with you, you're putting that material out there. Hey, these are things you can read and you're giving a lot of great material out there. So I was saying one-stop shop for mental health. Let's get started over there. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Very generous of you. A pleasure, Marla. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for coming down to the studio for us to get to speak. 
help the world, see where we're at. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to seeing you again. So the date, Thursday, August 18th, the Ontario Bar Association. Time to detox, how to reduce digital overload. We'll have some fun in that presentation. We definitely will. I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks so much for today. It was a pleasure. And thank you. Talk soon.